I think I, I, I rationalize that in my mind as the minimum future is here already, right? If you if you think if somebody gives the gives the uh, industry a fair hearing, you step into a plant today. It's not a plant which you and or I, for example, when I was starting my career, would imagine that it is unhygienic. It, you people are sweating all over the place. Uh, it's not the most uh, inviting work environment. Uh, if you know, I enter a typical plant today, I'm, and I mean typical, I'm, of course everything is on a spectrum, but typical plant is just pristine clean. I mean, uh, it's got automation in every place. It's got dashboards about how people are doing, helping them figure out what to do next. Like it's a much more inviting work environment than I think at least what my perception is. So in some ways, I, I think my hope and my, um, uh, my aspiration for the future is people at least give it a fair chance. Give the sector a fair chance to see what it is. You're listening to Transform Talks, a podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm going to be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're going to be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. Now, regular listeners will know that as well as being the host of Transform Talks, I'm also the co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network. In fact, the majority of my time is spent growing our network, which currently boasts over 130,000 people from the world of supply chain, digital transformation, and manufacturing. In fact, manufacturing plays a significant role in our network, and yet for one reason or another, it is not often that I get to cover the topic in depth on the show. And that's why I'm really excited about this week's episode. Joining me to discuss the current state of manufacturing is former partner at McKinsey, Gaurav Batra. Up until recently, Gaurav had been co-leading McKinsey's advanced electronics practice in the Americas. And more recently, he's been focusing on publishing his new book, The Titanium Economy. The book, which Gaurav co-authored alongside his former McKinsey colleagues, puts forward the idea that manufacturing is an underappreciated and undervalued sector of the economy. During our conversation, Gaurav and I were able to discuss the impact manufacturing had on his early career, his key takeaways from writing The Titanium Economy, and his thoughts on how manufacturing can better market itself. Before wrapping up, I also managed to delve into the topics of sustainability with him and what future opportunities and challenges lay ahead for the industry. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Gaurav. Thank you so much for joining us at Transform Talks. Thank you, Maria, for the opportunity of being here. Well, you know what? I'm always excited to talk to someone who has the kind of experience that you have because I bet you see a lot of things in your in your everyday work, right? Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to this conversation. Now, I'm going to start with going way back. You know, I always like to start these conversations with maybe going backwards a little bit to perhaps I know you are uh, you did your MBA at Harvard. Um, and I know that the Harvard motto is make a difference in the world. Um, which is what a lot of people talk about these days, right? So, but there's a lot of talking about making a difference. And I know you've spoken in the past about the impact that the industrial sector had in your native India, um, specifically the support it provided the local tribe who worked at the detergent plant that you managed early on in your career. Could you, could you maybe talk to me about that and tell me how it's perhaps maybe shaped your whole career? 
Yeah. Um, no, I think that, that was one of my most transformational or foundational experiences I had. Um, I think it takes us back to the early 2000s where everything, I was graduating from school. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. And, uh, but in spite of doing that, I think the coolest thing to do was to get a software uh, career. Like get into coding, do all these cool things. We were seeing Netscape, Yahoo, everybody just completely exploding in the valley. And that's what everything, including my, everybody, including myself, could ever think of. Um, due to certain fortuitous reasons, uh, I had the opportunity of working at in, instead of a coding uh, career, but started off in a manufacturing career. And I think it definitely opened my eyes to, uh, at least in my personal gap in perception and reality. I mean, I definitely did not think of it uh, manufacturing as a career I'd be lining up for. Um, but having that experience in that detergent factory and having the, first of all, the responsibility of managing 200 odd people as a 21 year old uh, was just an eye-opening experience, um, which I think has till this date has helped a foundational impact on how I approach various walks of life. Uh, but then I think more importantly, just seeing the, the pivotal role that one facility played in the whole area's economic viability and prosperity. People who were coming to um, the plant were not earning millions and billions of dollars. They were earning very minimal wages, but at least it afforded them a chance to put their kids through school so that the next generation can actually be a little bit more educated and have better social mobility. So I think that that at least gave me, a, at a very early stage in my career, much most respect uh, for um, what a manufacturing career could actually afford, uh, both in terms of personal learnings in my career, but also I think just more broadly for the society around us. And how maybe uh, compared to other uh, industries, it has just has a much more bigger, a much more amplified impact, impact in its ecosystems around it uh, than some of the other sectors might. And so I imagine that being employed as a 21-year-old, you probably had a lot on your, you know, a lot of dreams, a lot of ideas, but there was a local tribe there that you were able to support. And uh, I want to hear more about that. I want to hear what exactly that you did there. So I honestly did not do anything out of the ordinary. I was just candidly just coming to do, coming to work and doing my job as a as a uh, production manager trainee uh, in that facility. But I think uh, every time, for example, the factory would shut down for preventive maintenance. Uh, we were we were making detergents, so the silos had to be cleaned. Uh, uh, all the conduits had to be cleaned at a at a regular frequency. You would see the anxiousness in people's face that hey. Is it going to take a day? Is it going to take two days? Is it three days? Because it really made a difference. It really made a difference to what their week would look like, what their month would look like, what they would be able to afford, not afford. And that just had a very, um, very uh, deep impact on, on me, just uh, in terms of my whole understanding of how the world works. Um, I think uh, I was definitely going through my undergrad career with the picture of sitting in front of a computer and, and making programs. But to come and see this part of the reality of how at least in my case, 200 people. So by at least association, a thousand uh, family members uh, were just dependent on whether the factory shut down for a day or two days. This had a very, very deep impact on me. But you, you know what? I mean, uh, it was a long time ago. I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying that this was a long time ago. And yet the impact it's had that you see the people within the decisions that are taken uh, is, is an important thing that you're still thinking about so many years later, when you think about how much it changes in business on a day-to-day -day basis, especially now these days, right? It's very easy for those of us in leadership positions to be sitting in a 
gilded cage or, or whatever you want to call it, a nice boardroom, uh, making decisions about redundancies, automation, um, digital transformation, what have you, without, you know, with a pen stroke, as it were, right? And, and not, not thinking about the impact that it will have on the day-to-day the -day person working in the plant, working in the warehousing distribution center, et cetera. So I really love the fact that the first thing out of the gate that we talk about here in this interview is something that impacted you from so many years ago, and it still shapes who you are today, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it just, just made me at least aware to the point that there is a financial cost of doing business, which is very short term, very near term. But uh, I, as a, as a colleague in this industry, have to remember, remind myself all the time that there is a human element to it. And, and that's not to say that tough decisions should not be taken. I think, uh, candidly, if a company is not performing well, then I, I, I'd be hard pressed to imagine not making those tough decisions um, would be uh, would lead to any better outcomes. I think those decisions are taken, but I think that's what we talk about in the book we laid out, that uh, while those will be taken, this is where the different agencies have to come together, in particular the government agencies and the, and the policy makers, to basically anticipate some of those major changes in, in the market and what kind of skill sets are needed so that we prepare our generations. For, unfortunately, just you don't, some of these changes, you talked about automation, digitizations are tough to uh, make work in a current generation. And so I'm, clo I'm close to 45 today. If uh, I am told to pick up a new skill, I think very highly of myself, but it'll be tough for me to do that. And same thing applies for somebody who's done a particular job for 20 odd years. So those are, I think, the cost of making certain those tough decisions. But I think uh, we as a collective society, including the policymakers, should be able to at least anticipate some of these so that we minimize the, the number of folks who are getting impacted by it and we get the next generation ready for it. So so long story short, I think I, I mean, definitely taught me the value of uh, thinking beyond just purely numbers in the near term um, as I've done my um, service in the sector. Uh, but I think it also uh, essentially highlighted to me the role that to, to get, make the sector achieve its true potential, it's not just a one-hand clapping. Uh, it won't just be the companies doing better. It won't just be uh, the executives being smarter and all that. It will require a change from the policy side as well, as well as, um, honestly, at home, the way we talk about manufacturing as a career. Um, I, I don't know how many of us really truly have a discussion with our kids and talk to them about, hey, that's a, maybe a good route to go down. It's an option. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And, and you know what, I mean, there's so much to, to, from what you said, I think I agree with you with regards to, it's, it's a balance, right? So no one's saying that one has to constantly be thinking of people and only people, uh, because at the end of the day, we're running a business and the more successful the business is, the more likely it is to employ more people and do better things for the community and the local, you know, the local community and the employees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's about tough decisions with but, but what I like about it is that you open this up by saying, hey, my first thought was of people uh, and it has shaped my career. Now, I, I want to hear more about the book because just to let the, the people here let, that are listening, um, you recently released a book. It's called The Titanium Economy. And here you talk about the industrial sector in America and you say that it has a much brighter future than people give it credit for. So... Um, I mean, you know, everything, everywhere you look these days, it's doom and gloom, right? So I'm interested to hear what your key takeaways are from this or what your key points are. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question, Maria. I think uh, 
uh, in my career, uh, I've spent close to about 15 years serving the industrial sector here in the US. Um, and one thing which always struck me um, was the gap between perception and reality. Um, before I started working in the sector, I would probably not put it as the most innovative or the most imaginative or the most or the coolest thing going around. Uh, but virtually every experience I've had with the sector has been on the contrary. Um, and, uh, and the whole motivation of writing the book was to bring some of that gap between perception and reality to town. Um, so, so number one, I think a lot of people, if you ask them today, we think about manufacturing as a, as a done sector, right? Jobs have been offshore, it's a, it's a declining sector. But if you look at any numerical analysis of the sector as a whole, it's not gone anywhere. It still accounts for 20% of the uh, employment uh, of the whole country, at least here in the US. Um, and then more importantly, as you peel the onion back and you start de-averaging the sector and you see what is happening, there are some stellar companies. Uh, I think we talk about Heiko, for example. It's delivered returns which are at par or better than our uh, Facebooks, Apples, Amazons, Netflix, Googles of the world for 30 years. Not for two years, not for three years, for 30 odd years straight up. So that, that was basically the, uh, the genesis of the book, that there is so much good to talk about here, which we need to bring to the fore. Um, and then I think that as we did more and more research with, for the book, we talked to multiple CEOs, we talked to folks who are, have been in the sector for uh, much longer than I have. One thing became clear that this is a very virtuous sector. I think, to, and then that's where it kind of linked back to my early experience in the sector. If a, if a company does well, a manufacturing company does well, because it's able to afford a much better paying job to its uh, employees, it's able to employ a broader swath of people, not just college-educated, four-year four undergrad degree folks. It just has a much more amplified impact on the ecosystem around it. I think we talk about Simpsonville in the book, where after the Michelin factory um, opened up there, it just spawned a whole ecosystem, and today it's one of the more prosperous regions in the U.S., both in terms of uh, um, folks who live there and what they earn, but also the public infrastructure where it benefits from a, a more higher paying um, citizen group around it. Um, so for me, I think the biggest takeaway was that uh, definitely big gap between perception and reality, but then there's also an element of you as a country where, at least where U.S. is today, where income inequality is growing, um, there are, there's becoming more and more difference between the have and the have nots. This actually could be a great antidote to uh, to kind of fix those uh, disparities. A healthy, a burgeoning industrial sector will at least bring some of those economic realities uh, or economic benefits to a more broader um, set of the population, which then hopefully will bode well for for the country itself. So that's that was the key takeaway for me, at least gap between perception and reality, and then how how much of a promise it has in terms of not just for the companies itself, but also for the for the country as a whole. Do you think that the the impact of the events in the last couple of years from COVID to the global uncertainty and the talk of nearshoring, reshoring, friendshoring, et cetera, that, do you think that offers manufacturing supply chain the opportunities to do what you say, which is to really thrive, uh, unlike it did, at least in the United States and maybe Western countries that are bringing back these things? Do you think manufacturing could become a very big piece of the economic pie? Absolutely. I think, no, I completely agree with you. I think it's been in all the COVID has been a tragedy in so many fronts. I think if you look at it from this myopic view, it absolutely is a boon for the manufacturing um, sector. I think just the structural changes which have happened, they're making the companies think about, okay, 
how to reshore. Now, if you reshore, then how do you make your operations more effective, which in the end will ha help everybody who's involved with these companies. Um, so I think that for sure is a big, big deal. I think the second thing which I've seen, which has been interesting is, uh, if you look at perception about manufacturing, that also has improved during these last two years. So if you talk about how PPE suddenly was a shortage and companies banded around and started uh, producing them at a much bigger clip. Ventilators were an issue. Um, um, vaccine production was an issue. But the fact that the manufacturing sector could stand up behind it and at least answer the call, I think has also changed perceptions about uh, what folks have about the sector itself, which I've seen now. If you look at certain metrics around recruiting, how people are interested in, uh, in a manufacturing career, that seems to also have picked up over the last uh, couple of years. So I think it's definitely been a boon, although it's been an overall um, uh, quite a tragic uh, set of couple of years. But I think from if you take a very narrow view of it, I think manufacturing uh, will get some tailwind coming out of it. And the hope is companies, policymakers, and us take advantage of that to at least uh, enable the next generation to be a lot more open um, and uh, I'm enabled to a career in manufacturing. But okay, here's the challenge then. I mean, to, to talk about a career in manufacturing, uh, you yourself said it, it's for the kids. It's not as appealing as say working at a startup or working at a shiny, really cool tech company or uh, going off to become a philosopher or potter or whatever it is they want to do that might be more attractive to them how do we how do we bridge that gap how do we get people to see manufacturing uh that industry as a viable not only viable but a really important part of the, the community yeah yeah i think it's a great question and uh, i don't know if i have a a, a silver bullet answer to it but uh, I'll, I'll give it at least a shot uh, um, so if i look at my at my own career uh, my choices as a teenager were very much influenced by what my family did or my parents would tell me about as, as a good healthy career. My father is an engineer. Honestly, that's how I became an engineer. I had no other reason uh, than that to be interested in that uh, line of work. Um, so I think first of all, it'll start at home, which is I think uh, I have two young kids at home. I would definitely make sure I, would, I talk to them about uh, careers as a whole, not just a very sense of what's happening today on social media or, or whatever coolest thing going around is because we have the benefit of experience on our side. So I think there will be changes need to be made at home. Um, I think the industry by itself has to do a much better job of marketing itself. I think this is one of the more insular industries I've seen, uh, which is, I mean, they, they're not great marketers. They're very happy showing up to work within the four walls of their, um, of their element and, and doing a great job and going back home. But we don't, we don't make it as attractive. We don't talk about the cool things we do, like using machine learning to sort waste. Um, and, and talking about how that makes us more sustainable and the whole uh, environment more sustainable. None of that really truly happens. So I think the industry has to do it. And I think number three is that's where the policymakers need to come in to strengthen the bond between somebody who's graduating to an ability to start a career in the, in the sector. And because the good thing is you don't necessarily need to go to a four-year-old technical college. There could be vocational programs, community colleges could play a big role here. So I think all three of them have to come together because... First is talking about mindset. Second is talking about awareness. Third is talking about ability to actually make that transition. Um, so multiple things to happen. Things need to happen for it to make sense. But I also definitely believe that it will start at home. But uh, other other agencies will kind of need to come and help us out.
Yeah, I think for sustain from a sustainability perspective, I think uh, this is one of the coolest sectors to be around because I mean, how does sustainability really uh, come into fore and 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 gets actually um, executed on the ground? If you look at a company, there is taking your current processes and making them more sustainable. Uh, whether it's the type of fuel you use, whether it's the type of practices you use, uh, whether it's the amount of waste you create. But this is the one sector where actually beyond that, you actually are helping actually enable sustainability. So an example I really like to talk about is a company called Trex, where they use plastics to recycle them and turn them into more usable uh, uh, elements or products. Now, where else could you have more impact on sustainability if you're if not at a company like Trex, where you could enable them with better technology, better research, uh, more development to take ability to take soil plastics, clean them up, and turn them into uh, into more usable products, park benches, bottles, you name it, right? So, I think the cool thing about this sector is that folks will get a chance to not just make their own companies their own day-to-day more sustainable but actually help others adopt the 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 mantra of sustainability in a real real world in a real real way on the other spectrum is companies like Enphase Energy we talk about in the book as well who are actually then producing inverters which help bring solar panels and the electricity they're generated there back to our homes so i think in most if you like a financial sector aviation all you're doing is in within your own four walls you're trying to make sure that uh, you are being as sustainable as possible. That absolutely is needed, no questions about it. But if I look at the impact somebody can have on sustainability, it is actually through providing products and services which let others uh, become more sustainable. And that's where I think the opportunity is really, really amazing for this manufacturing sector to stand up and, and be spoken for. So I think from a sustainable perspective, if somebody's passionate about that, this is a great sector to be involved in. Look at the type of things you could do, look at the type of companies who are at the forefront of some of that innovation and, and join them. I think it's, it's a great opportunity. Okay, let's talk about challenges because uh, we can't hide from the fact that there really is a lot going on right now. Uh, we see issues related to geopolitics, economics. Um, we've got uncertainty wherever we look at it. COVID still hasn't gone away. Uh, what are, you know, you've painted a, a bright future, right, for manufacturing, and I believe in it, and I, and I agree with you. But what are some of the challenges that you think uh, the industry might face and how would we overcome those challenges? That's a fantastic question, Maria. Um, I think that at least the way I think about challenges, certain challenges are more temporal in my mind, which are some of them are near term. They'll keep happening. The world we live in is cyclical. That's how economics works. That's how life works. Uh, So we will be running into the recessionary headwinds once every 10 years, 20 years, pick, pick a time frame. Um, so you can't really do much about it other than the fact that we prepared. I think that's where the manufacturing companies in particular, uh, we talked about the ones who do well, but there are many who don't necessarily are as effective and as efficient as they could be. So getting getting ourselves well prepared for that is, I think, critical for everybody, particularly in today's, today's uh, day and age, given where at least some of the economic headwinds are blowing. But I think that to me, like the... While those are important, the the biggest structural challenge I feel which is impacting the uh, the sector is talent or lack thereof. Um, I think if you look at many industrial companies and several we talked to in this process, they will not talk about do- dollar of investment as a bottleneck to their operations. They'll not talk about demand. Um, they know it's cyclical, but they know it'll come back. Um, reshoring is actually helping them in many ways to kind of um, consolidate operations. 
the challenge they have is they don't have enough people. Um, like during COVID years is one of my, uh, one of a stark examples I ran into. Uh, one of the companies we were working with is a company which does home furnishing. Um, and just during COVID years, the demand went berserk. People were sitting at home renovating everything. And they were extremely excited because they literally could, uh, if they wanted to sell, double the amount of revenue they were they were doing in past years. But they couldn't. And the reason was there was just not another way to add a second shift to their plant. Uh, and they are in a good area where a lot of talent exists. But I think this goes back to the discussion we were having about how do you how do we enable uh, more people to actually be a part of this community and part of this sector. And to me, that's the biggest challenge which needs to be solved. Um, I think the good thing is there are pockets of excellence where people are trying to solve it in their own and uh, meaningful way. Um, I love the example of Ideal Industries. They do some something which I really like called the Ideal Olympics. Like they have an annual event where different welders and machinists come, they compete with each other, they crown the ideal champion for the year. And just in that community, it just gives such a positive reinforcement and, a, and an image of, of these trades and these um, professions. Uh, but obviously, that's very localized right now. And uh, a version of it, whether similar or different, needs to be done at a more national level. I think that's where the policymakers and the industries have to work together to kind of enable that. But to me, that is the biggest, biggest challenge today. Uh, I think other headwinds will come and go, uh, and that will then... Um, I think our ability to get through that will depend on our own readiness and resilience for it, which I think is under our control. I think the one which requires more concerted and banded effort is figuring out how do you address the, the lack of talent or the mismatch between demand and supply of the right talent for the sector. And we're not the only industry competing for that talent, are we? I mean, so uh, the, the Great Resignation has really had an impact on a lot of industry. Um, well, okay, so I've asked you about the challenges. What, what does the future look like? I mean, what, uh, and again, you know, I always ask, I like to ask this question and people think, oh, I don't hold me to it. I'm, I'm not gonna come back to you in, in a year's time and say, what, you promised me this. Uh, what is, uh, you know, what are you looking forward to in, the, in this industry? I think in many ways, uh, I think I, I, I'd rationalize it in my mind as the many ways future is here already, right? If you, if you think, if somebody gives the, gives the, uh, industry of fair hearing, you step into a plant today, it's not a plant which you and, or I, for example, when I was starting my career would imagine that it is unhygienic, it, people are sweating all over the place, uh, it's not the most uh, inviting work environment. Uh, if you know, I enter a typical plant today, I'm, and I mean typical, I'm, of course everything is on a spectrum, but typical plant is pristine clean. I mean, uh, it's got automation in every place, it's got dashboards about how people are doing, helping them figure out what to do next. Like it's a much more inviting work environment than I think at least what my perception is. So in some ways, I, I think my hope and my um, uh, my aspiration for the future is people at least give it a fair chance, give the sector a fair chance to see what it is. Um, I think in terms of what the sector could do better, I'm optimistic because in many ways, uh, hard economics will come will come and uh, have, a, have a clash with reality. We cannot afford increasing um, inequality in our societies. I think it's polarizing us in many, many ways, which is not helpful. Um, and, and I personally am I'm definitely biased here, so I, I recognize that, but I definitely feel that this sector is a good antidote to that economic uh, disparity, which many societies are seeing across the, across the world. So having, um, I don't think we will be able to uh, ignore it for too long. 
Now, the question is, obviously, many times the person who moves before the others gets the benefit of it. People who start innovating tend to take the leadership position. So there's a real value in my mind of acting now, um, where company, the countries can come together and, and understand how to foster this uh, segment. But um, in many ways, you hope that that's proactive and not, not reactive to, um, to certain shocks. So, so again, my sense is in many ways, the reality is already, the future is already here. People should uh, get themselves more aware of it, uh, and the industry should enable that. And then my hope and aspiration is that uh, the, the trifecta of investors, companies, and policymakers realize that the value in acting on it is now and not late. Because I don't think act, not acting is not an option, but there's real value in acting on it in a timely fashion. Well, Gaurav, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's brilliant. That's perfect. That's exactly what uh, I agree. I think that there's a the opportunity is very interesting for governments, for countries to work together for um, hopefully building a better future. So I am with you. I'm excited about the future. Now, if we'd only find a way to get everybody uh, excited about manufacturing as a career choice, that is the next challenge, the next hurdle that we have to overcome. So ideally, things like this, we can work together to, to make like that make that happen and get the voice out. Um, I want to thank you for being on Transform Talks. For our listeners, check out the Titanium Economy. And uh, no doubt people can get in touch with you via LinkedIn. But uh, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the opportunity, Kimbali. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And for those of you listening at home, we'll catch you at the next one.